You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, we've got Chris Hurd, who is the CEO and founder of First Base, which is an all-in-one provisioning platform that lets companies supply and manage physical equipment to remote workers to do great work. And sorry about that. We're all, we're all good, everyone. Just a little background noise. No worries. The other thing is we're actually a customer of First Base's. It's been a great experience overall. I'm like, wow, wish there was something like this earlier. Team raves about it. So it's been great. Chris, how is it going, man? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, obviously. I think the last 15 months have accelerated certainly the trends that we were betting on. And yeah, just trying to make hay while the sun shines in the area that, that we're betting on and obviously trying to make our clients as happy as we can. So yeah, sounds like we're doing a good job with, with you guys. Yeah, no, that's it's been a pleasant experience for sure. And then you mentioned, I think before this call, I mean, you have some marquee clients. So do you want to talk about some of those clients? And you guys also raised from a marquee investor as well. So I'm not sure if you want to share that too. Yeah, we, we wrapped up our Series A led by Andreessen Horowitz a couple of months ago. We're working with everything from early stage startups. So companies like Tessian, TaxJar, Clubhouse, TaxJar slightly later stage, got bought by Stripe a couple of months ago through a much larger organization. So we work with the Grammys. We work with people like Zigo, who are um, an insure tech unicorn in the EU, Code Academy, Single Gray. And then we're growing and I think trying to try and make the best of it as we can. Awesome. So I guess for kind of talk about your typical... We just earlier talked about typical founders and what they look like in terms of the archetype. Talk about kind of who you are as a founder and how you're not the typical founder, because I, I think it's an interesting story. Yeah. So I, I'm from Aberdeen, and, and which is a fairly small city in Scotland and the UK. I studied architecture, went into oil and gas industry. And fairly quickly, I was project managing these multi-million dollar construction refits all around the world. And that was fine for a little bit, but pretty quickly you realize that the oil and gas industry isn't that intellectually stimulating. So I started doing a lot of other things out with the nine to five. And something I was really interested in was just technology in general. So I began writing a a tech blog that grew uh, somewhere around 40 or 50,000 followers. That led me to connect with early stage startups in the UK, venture capitalists in the UK. And by late, probably... October 2017, I was ready to make a change. And yeah, I sort of started looking at ideas of what to build and founded my first tech business, which was a financial technology company. Got it. And what happened in that business? We decided that we were going to be a remote team for a number of reasons, access to talent, cost efficiency. But for me, it was a quality of life thing, right? You can probably hear my kids over my shoulder. So apologies for that. But I missed them walking, laughing and talking for the first time. So yeah, we discovered all these challenges and obstacles with being a remote team. How do we get people the right equipment? It's expensive. It's time consuming. Some of the stuff you were alluding to before. And we just realized as we start to scale, like these were problems we were facing. And pretty quickly, we thought, okay, we need to build something to solve this for ourselves. And yeah, eventually we, we realized the financial technology company wasn't going to be successful, but we had this internal tool that was working really well for ourselves. We went to a few of our friends building remote teams and discovered they were they were facing the same problem. So first base was the the resultant pivot from that, if that makes sense. Just going back to the business model real quick. I mean, obviously, you know, we can get cool computers, you can go get cool standing desks and things like that. But how how are you guys making money? 
Yeah, so I, I guess we do a couple of things. So first off, we provide the platform as a, almost like a SaaS product for you to manage that those assets through. So whether that's new equipment, if you're hiring new people, it's getting them set up with the things that they need. On the other side, most companies who have existing employees have assets that are already deployed in the field as well. So we let them list the assets that they already own. We can manage that as if it's a piece of equipment that we've supplied and really make it easy for them to operate both nationally within the geographic borders where their country is, but also if they want to expand past that as well. Got it. I mean, thinking about this one, right? I, I, would, would you say this is kind of the, your first company where you, you raise a ton and you're expected to grow really quickly? Is that what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we raised our seed round on, I guess it was the end of September 2020. We've grown somewhere between 30 and 40x since then. We've just sort of finished burning through the seed round. So we, we feel pretty good about that in terms of where we stand. And then we raised the Series A from Andreessen, which we signed the term sheet start of February. And since then, we've grown somewhere between 7 and 10x. So yeah, certainly feeling good about growth just now. Got it. And I think you guys raised at least what, over 13, 16 million or so, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, we've raised, yeah, somewhere between 15 and a half and 16 million total. Got it. And so what what are some of the the core challenges you faced scaling this thing? Because it went from, I mean, you, you haven't been around that long, right? So... Yeah, I, I think like you, you're an entrepreneur and I think people that have built businesses like scale from the outside looks good. It can often feel very different inside a business. And I think having living through like rapid scale is a very painful thing because things that in other companies that aren't growing as fast, they would get fixed as a product of the natural roadmap. You just outgrow that so quickly if you're not building as quickly as you can. So I think for me, what's became apparent is just like how high the cadence has to be in terms of speed of pushing product, but equally how high the product standard has to be at the same time. So it's like this all juxtaposition of things where you need to move incredibly quickly, but you also have to have an incredibly high standard of the things that you are pushing. Yep. That makes all the sense in the world. And and so you talked about, I mean, pre-show kind of talking about building building distribution first. So what does that mean to you? And and there's a couple of tweets I was looking at that you put up and maybe I'll probably double click on those. Yeah, I think for distribution for me is like building a platform where you've got an audience that's interested generally in the space you're building it. So I think probably you're, you're going to tease some of this out in some of the tweets that you talk about. Like I, I don't specifically tweet about first base. I tweet more widely on the, the the specific area that we're focusing on, which is obviously the future of work. It's it's remote work, it's hybrid work, it's working from home, and all those things. And I think like the unique position I occupy as I've built that audience, as I've had more conversations, it becomes something where it's actually super helpful for other people for me to share those anecdotal insights around the conversations that I'm having. And it's just this cyclical thing where once that flywheel gets spinning, you speak to more people, you have more intelligence, you have more information to share, you get to speak to more people, you have more intelligence. And I think that's that's my process is really just building ideas around what's important to other people and trying to add value to them in any way that I can. Got it. What I'm finding really from Twitter, and especially in the last year, year and a half, two years or so, is that... Twitter is kind of this, to me, is underutilized channel, right? And one of your tweets talked about how you basically, I think it was achieved 80 million impressions on your tweets over the last 12 months. And you put this out in April, right? And then you talked about your learnings, predictions, and advice. So first, I guess let's talk about the 80 million impressions. So how did you go about doing so? Because from what I see, maybe you haven't been that active on Twitter until maybe you know recent couple of years, right? Yeah, I, I really started, I think... 
and I may get the month wrong, but it's it's directionally in the right place in like January 2019. So maybe just over two years. I think at that point, I I built the my my Twitter following to maybe 1,500 or 2,000 people, but it was like nothing that that was that impressive or that useful. And I think there's there's a number of things that I think I I did that enabled me to I guess win the attention of people, which is like generally just saying interesting things, so making predictions around something that a growing number of people were interested in. I think having unique insights on that obviously helps by having conversations, by understanding the trends that were emerging. And I think the other thing that I done very well was like getting to know the, the key people in the space. So people like Andreas Klinger or like Darren Murph or like Laurel. There's just so many great people in that space where you can have a conversation with really quickly and then you get to speak to their audiences as well. And I think the second part is just ruthless consistency. I think a lot of people start with social media, they get bored of it, they gravitate towards it again, they go away, they come back. And that push pool just isn't that helpful for audience. Like they they come and expect consistent content and they expect consistent content that's good. And I think the final piece, which which I think I've done particularly well, is be super black or white. Like there's a lot of gray on social media that people are like, meh, cool, but I don't really care. So part of my, I guess, strategy is like, you, you say things that you know will inspire a conversation. So you, it may not necessarily be even what you believe, but what you need to do is to just inspire people to share their viewpoints. And actually, I think that's super important when you're talking about new areas and not everyone understands like what other people think about that space. Got it. And so what are you, I guess, with Twitter, what has it done for you in terms of benefits, right? Like talk about relationships, customers, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of those things, Eric. I think, look, I, I'm still in Scotland. I'm from Scotland. And no other point in history could that be true to build the type of company that we're trying to build. There's not many startups in Scotland that have raised as much money as we have. There's not many companies in Scotland that have grown as quickly as we have. And yeah, we're the usual Delaware C-Corp and all that good stuff. So there's there's nothing particularly fancy around that. But I think that's just been the the opportunity that Twitter's afforded me. It's let me build relationships with key decision makers at some of the biggest investment companies, venture capital firms in the world. It's enabled me to establish myself as as someone who's respected in the space and, and their voice is listened to. And I think the implication of both those things is you get credibility with potential clients who gravitate towards you because they know who you are. And that's been super important for me personally. Yeah. I mean, that's how I heard of you guys. That's how I like, I checked it out. And usually what I'll do is I'll check out a bunch of new products, services or whatever. I'll just send it over to someone on the team and they'll dive into it. It's interesting because eight sleep has kind of done the same thing. Like I was like, what's your primary acquisition channel? It's it's Twitter, right? Would you say Twitter is your primary acquisition channel or is it something else? Yeah. hundred percent Twitter. Like we're active in other places, but they pale in comparison to what we get from Twitter. Got it. Okay. Last question on Twitter. And I want to dive deeper on some of your predictions. So what does your cadence look like for it? Because I noticed some people are very, uh, again, Matteo from 8sleep, he's tweeting every day on sleep, right? Like, are you doing it every day? Like, what's your cadence? Everyone asks me this, right? Like, I, I am very active on Twitter. And I, I think I play the, the Twitter game as well as anyone. I, I think I'm quite new at it. But I'm very spontaneous. Like, I, I, I'm not someone that writes tweets in advance. I'm not someone that plans it. Everyone's like, what's the strategy? And I'm like, the strategy is something comes in my head and I'm going to tweet it. Like I don't spend minutes or hours or days planning it. Like the, some of the most successful tweets that I've sent are like spur of the moment thing, 10 seconds thinking about it. Even the longer tweet threads that we're about to talk about, like 
yeah, I mean, there's more planning goes into them, but I don't sit for hours like agonizing over them. I've got this, the ideas in my head. I've got the data that I need to get out. And then I just sit and write it in maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Got it. Yeah, guys, I just want to put this in perspective. 80 million impressions. I mean, this is basically, it's, I mean, you have to put in sweat equity, but it's basically free advertising, right? So it's no wonder that Twitter is working well for a lot of people. So I think that's something to, to take a look at. So uh, in terms of, you just talked about certain data that you have. So what's some kind of remote work data that you're happy to share? And then we can talk about your predictions. I think the most important data to me is is probably two data points that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So number one is somewhere between 90 and 95% of people never want to work in an office again full-time. Somewhere between 40 and 60% of people want to work remotely full-time. And then I think the most interesting study I've seen recently was the one by Bloomberg, which said 50% of millennials would rather quit than go back to the office. And I think those data points are super interesting for, for the reason that this has been terrible remote working, right? Like you've worked remotely, obviously, for a long time. And because you've done that, you know how bad the last 15 months have been. This has been remote working during a global pandemic where there's lockdowns and homeschooling and you can't travel and you can't go to restaurants and you can't see friends or family. So my expectation actually was that because of that, many people would be like, this sucks. I want to go back to the office. But that hasn't been the case, right? Only 3%, somewhere between 3 and 7% of people want to go back to an office full-time. And as you start to think, okay, well, now they've had the worst remote working experience imaginable. What happens when they have the best remote working experience imaginable? What happens when they get the intangible benefits of not commuting, of their kids being back at school, of being able to travel while working? So that's why I spend a lot of time focusing on is like, Look, what we're talking about mostly is the future of work. And I'm not that interested in the future of work, which surprises people. Like, I just don't think it's that interesting a topic. But when I start to say to you, like, this is about the future of living. Like, this is about higher quality of life. Okay, like now you're engaged, right? Like, now you're like, okay, well, how do I get a better life from this? Like, I'm not commuting. And I can do all this other fun stuff. And I think that's what that data hints at. Got it. Yeah. I'm just looking at this one. So you have a tweet here talking about, you spoke to 1000 companies over the last six months to find out more about their plans. Here's what you learned. So HQs are finished, fully distributed, access talent, cut costs. Here's the thing. So at least talking to my team now, in the very beginning of the pandemic, we said, okay, how many of you actually missed office? Maybe like 3% of hands went up. Now, you know, when we're saying these employee engagement surveys, they're like, oh, you know, we miss everyone, blah, 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 blah. We'd like to see everyone. So what I'm really asking is around kind of remote playbooks where people are fostering that in-person connection. Like, what have you seen with that? I think the important distinction is often like, I don't know if it's a mass media misunderstanding of what remote work actually is, right? Like the last 15 months have been super unnatural where you haven't been able to see your teammates. But most remote teams do meet up in person. Like just because you're remote doesn't mean that you don't see your people, your colleagues. And I think that's that's the point that I, I think is important. Like what's the cadence that works for your company? Our salespeople may need to meet up more frequently than our engineers may meet, need to meet up more frequently than our, I don't know, our marketing team. And I think having the flexibility to give to your team members what they need and obviously listening to feedback is incredibly important as well. Like that sounds like the conversation you had. That's certainly the feedback I get from all the companies that I hear. And I think that's going to be the, the, the sort of key differentiator. And I'd say there's, there's no real defined playbook yet because we're still so early. In this. So I think the key part is like speak to your people, listen to your people. And then give them what they want, but also be willing to move on that because people's opinions are going to change once they get different experiences and understandings of what that actually looks like. Got it. And obviously, 
recruiting is always the number one challenge, especially for, especially with where you guys are right now. Right. So how are your experiences first, firsthand, how are you finding the best people in the world right now? Like, where are you going to look and all that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the answer is the same as the, the sort of finding customers thing, right? It's, it's Twitter. You find the best people on the planet by being, I, I think, accessible. And yeah, I think there's better job boards for that. I think Remotive's great. AngelList has been pretty good for us. There's a number of other great ones as well. But I think it's just about building in public. Something about doing that obviously helps a certain kind of person gravitate towards you. And yeah, certainly been great for us finding great people. That's a huge point. I, I saw this a couple of weeks ago where it's like people are done with looking at resumes, but instead they hire directly from Twitter because you actually get a window into how they think about things and what, what they find interesting, right? So obviously you can use Twitter search and all that. Are you doing anything other than that to find these people from Twitter? I don't know if you've found this tool. It's, it's Flock something. Is it flock dot, flock dot net or flock, flock dot network? Never heard of it. So what's, what's super cool about that is it basically becomes like a CRM for your Twitter followers and makes them searchable. So let's say you're looking for engineers. You can effectively put in a search of your Twitter followers, pull out all the engineers, and then you've now got a list of in, potentially incredible people that you didn't previously have a relationship with. So I've used that a little bit. I've seen like just basically blanket tweets being super effective where you're like, we're looking for X and this is what we're building. And this is who you're going to be working with seems to be an important part as well. And yeah, the inbound we've seen from that has been, yeah, quite frankly, incredible. Wow. This is fascinating. So they launched on Product Hunt in 2019. So it's flock.networks. It's F-L-O-C-K.network just for everyone. I'm going to try this myself because I'm, I'm trying to level up my Twitter game. Are you still paying for this thing or is it you're using the free version? I'm paying for it. Yeah. It's just, it's not cheap either when you've got, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not that expensive. I think the value you get from it's super high. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great product. Got it. Cool. So how about some practical remote work advice that most people wouldn't know about what you got? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to read my own book here, Eric. I think the important part is like having the right tools and equipment. If you don't have the right tools and equipment, it's incredibly difficult to be as safe, comfortable, and productive at home as you would be in an office. Number two, which I think most companies get most wrong, is trying to replicate the office environment in terms of culture remotely. I see that go wrong so often, it scares me. What I'm not saying is like we should all become these asynchronous first organizations and, and totally rip up how we've worked in the past. But I think what we need to do is embrace elements of that. And how can we empower people to do great work? And how can we change the, the prior style, which was, Work's going to be designed for the collective and not really work for any individual directly. And how can we start to empower people to design the work day to enable them to do the best work that they've ever done in their lives? I think companies that do that see massive benefits. And speaking of companies that do that, I like looking at templates, right? I like looking at good examples. So let's say FirstBase does remote work really well. You know, Wade from Zapier obviously does. They've been doing it since the beginning, right? Who else are some companies that, that you think are doing really remote work really well? GitLab's the obvious one. I think Darren Murph's probably written more, forgotten more about this stuff than many of us are ever going to know. And I think the stuff that they've open sourced to the community is, is quite frankly incredible. In terms of bigger companies, I, I, I think the press Spotify are getting just now around their transition to allowing remote is great. I think the way that they're thinking about it, the way that they're giving the workers choice, the way that they're really empowering people to do great work anywhere is super important. 
And I think maybe the other one that jumps to mind that I hear a lot from, and I, I've certainly had a lot of DMs from people inside this company, is Reddit. They're maybe less public about some of the things that they're doing, but yeah, definitely heard great things about basically how open they are to their workers doing it. And maybe more specifically to them, their their stance on salary stands out as well. Got it. You mentioned, so Zapier has a lot of their playbooks online, and I think you guys have a lot of playbooks too, and you actually have a book, correct? I don't. I'm kind of in the process of writing one, but yeah, it's just been a slower labor of love than I, I thought it would be. Oh yeah, believe me, it's a pain in the ass. Well, who's the second company that you mentioned that is, you mentioned they open source a lot of this? GitLab. Was it GitLab or was it the third one? GitLab and Darren Murph. They're, they're the ones that I think have written most widely on this. Darren Murph. Never heard of that one. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it right. I'm da- not Darren, it. Is a, Darren is a is the goat. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'll have to look that up. We'll drop that in the show notes as well. Aside from your own product, what do you think is the most compelling tool that you've added in the last year that's really helped with work? Good question. I use Figma a lot. And I use it for like not just design oriented things. Like I, I yeah, I, I I often take notes in Figma, but just because it's something that I I tend to live inside. We've tried things like Miro and Mural and and those types of things, and I think they're great products as well. And I think actually, you you hear a lot of people saying like, well, whiteboarding's not as effective when you're working um, remotely. Actually, I think those tools can add things that whiteboarding in an office can never achieve. So. I think thinking about tools that are different clearly from like what they're replicating in the analog world and what they add to that experience. I think that Mural and Miro are definitely an example of something that we try to use as a tool and gives us that. Out of curiosity, Chris, how big is the sales team right now? We are five people. Got it. Because when, when I talk to my, a lot of my buddies, you know, they, they say the one thing that you want to keep kind of in the same office is the sales team, right? And I'm sure you've heard the same thing. So is that, that actually goes against the ethos. So what, what is your plan around that? Yeah, I'm kind of keen to get your thoughts. I can tell you where our our sales guys are just now. So we we have one our our sales team is just now. Sorry, we we have a couple of people are in London, but they moved to Barbados during the pandemic, so they are enjoying themselves. We've got someone in Tulsa, we've got someone in Atlanta, and we have got someone in Florida. So we are we are pretty distributed, obviously within the EU and the US. We certainly have no intention to be co-located or physically located. I would say they don't feel much different. Now, maybe what's different about us is we have a lot of inbound that we're dealing with. So we we aren't doing the outbound where you're learning and you can like pass that around super easily. So we may be in a bad example of this, but yeah, certainly no intention of to, to be co-located anytime soon. Got it. We'll have to have you on in the near future. Really want to get <laughs> your thoughts. So what would be one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? So right now I'm I'm reading the recent No Rules Rules book by Reed Hastings. And I think he wrote that with a psychologist, organizational psychologist of some some description. Incredible. I think the way that, that Reed thinks about organizations is how people should think about organizations. I also read Andy Weir's most recent book. I think it's is it Hail Mary, if we're gonna do a, a fiction book as well. And that that was incredible. One of the most interesting books I've read in a long time. It's interesting. That's the second time I saw that recommendation today. So I guess I'll have to go add that. So, as well. so good. Cool. I'll check it out. And what would you say is the most compelling thing that you've read, watched, or listened to recently? That's not Hail Mary. <laughs> I, I'm watching Loki. I, I think Loki is kind of interesting as, as like an exploration of self. Yeah. I, I, a lot of that spoke to me on a more psychological level than just a sort of past the time Marvel show. 
Yeah, no, it's, I think it's the best Marvel series they have right now on it. So I love it. Totally well, Chris, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So I'm at Chris underscore Hurd and also on LinkedIn and anywhere else would be firstbasehq.com. All right, everyone go check out First Base HQ. Chris isn't paying me to say this. It's great. Chris, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Eric. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.